So Money episode 841, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb, co-founders of Good Egg Investments. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You know, we both started out with rental properties. And, you know, for myself, my husband, we did that for 10 plus years because that's what we thought real estate investing was. We didn't know anything else. Our guests today are going to share some real estate secrets. The two of them are co-founders in an investment company called Good Egg Investments, where they help people invest in cash-flowing real estate. What is this all about? How can we get involved? How risky is it? Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. You know, we're all raised, a lot of us, myself included, with this ideal around owning a home, right? Buying a home is the American dream. And lately, I think that has been up for debate. But I think what still people are interested in is looking at real estate as a potential way to invest, uh, finding the right markets, finding the right kinds of properties, turning these properties into investments, making them cash flow positive. But of course, all that comes with a lot of work, a lot of research. It's a whole job unto itself. Our guests today have tried to simplify this process, streamline this process, and invite more people to participate in real estate investing. Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb co-founded a company named Good Egg Investments. They're both working moms and experienced real estate investors, and they joined forces to find a way to help other busy people learn how to invest in cash-flowing real estate without being a landlord. To date, Good Egg Investments has co-syndicated over $400 million of real estate assets. They're going to walk us through the behind the scenes of their business, how they identify good properties, how they more or less recession-proof their business, and also financial advice they were raised with that impacted their lives today, as well as how they're teaching their children about money. Here's Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb, welcome to So Money. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Listen, you know, listeners know, real estate is one of my favorite topics. I've been uh, dabbling in real estate since my early 20s. And uh, along the way, you know, bought and sold apartments in New York City, renovated, always looking on my Street Easy app, which if you're from New York, you know, that's kind of like our go-to listings app. And the two of you are not exactly in, um, you know, that sort of real estate, but Good Egg Investments is in the real estate sector. You help busy people invest in cash flowing real estate that impacts local communities, all without the hassles of being a landlord. It sounds a little too good to be true. We get that a lot, Farnoosh. <laughs> You do. And this is Annie, right? I want to get your... Yes. You know, what you're talking about with the rentals, you know, it sounds very similar to how I started out in real estate and Julie as well. You know, we both started out with rental properties. And, you know, for myself, my husband, we did that for 10 plus years because that's what we thought real estate investing was. We didn't know anything else. 
So mm. we bought rentals, usually duplexes, and we would do this thing called house hacking where we would live in one unit and rent out the other unit. And we thought, hey, we're doing pretty well. This is great. We got the hang of this. Let's do some more. So now that we're living in the San Francisco Bay Area, we decided, you know, it's really expensive to continue to invest locally here. Let's try to invest out of state. So that's exactly what we did. We found a great market in the southeast of the United States and we started investing there. We had never lived there before, but we found a great team on the ground there and we started buying up small rental properties there. And it was going well for a while. And then all at once, it seemed things started to break down. And hmm. we had fix after fix that we had to address. We had some tenant vandalism and some eviction issues. And it was just taking way more of our time than we had anticipated. And somewhere along the way, we had stumbled into this concept called real estate syndication, which is really just a group investment. And in a syndication, we could be passive investors, which means we could just put in our money. Somebody else would do the heavy lifting of all of the taking care of the renovations and the maintenance and things like that. And we would be investing in larger commercial assets like apartment buildings. And so that's what we do at Good Egg is we help people who don't necessarily want to be landlords, but they want to invest their money in real estate. We help them to invest passively in these real estate syndications or group investments. And you're in San Francisco, you mentioned Dallas, Fort Worth, San Antonio, Huntsville, Atlanta, Key West. How do you identify your markets? Um, yeah, this is Julie talking. How are you? Um, hi, Julie. Hi. Really, the what we look for when we, and this is specifically to multifamily apartments, when we look for markets that we are interested in, we look for certain fundamentals. And I would say the two primary fundamentals that we look for is job growth and population growth. Because at the end of the day, if these corporations have identified these areas as places that they want to do business in, then they will create jobs. And eventually those jobs will bring people and those people will need a place to live and it'll have a positive impact on the communities that we're buying, the apartment communities that we're purchasing. So I would say that those are the two primary. There are other things that we look for. Um, you know, we want to invest in areas that are obviously landlord friendly. Um, and, uh, you know, we look for things like job diversity. So we don't want to invest in any one area that has like, you know, only one or two uh, industries. We look for something where, you know, there's a number of different interest industries and, you know, not one of them makes up more than, you know, 15% of the overall, uh, you know, workforce there. So those are kind of the, the highlights of what we look for for a market we invest in. And Julie, you came from a background in law. And I want to now transition to more of kind of your your founder, your founder story, how the two of you found each other. Annie, you talked about how you and your family got involved in real estate investing. But Julie, how did you get involved in this market? 
Yeah. So I started investing in real estate back in 2009. And I was just doing the traditional narrative of, you know, you get married and you buy a house because that's how we're taught to build wealth is you buy a primary home, you know, traditionally. And um, we were looking at buying a loft downtown that I wanted to buy. And then my real estate agent was pushing us towards buying a townhome, a three and a half bedroom townhome. And I remember asking her, like, what am I going to do with all of this space? It's just me and my husband. And she said, you know, if you buy this place, you can rent out the other rooms and offset your debt payments, your mortgage payments. And I thought, wow, that's that's really interesting. I think that we'll probably do this. And so that was kind of my introduction, very similar to Annie, uh, to real estate in that we started off house hacking. And that was sort of something that changed my uh, perception about how to build wealth, um, you know, to be able to live almost rent free in the Bay Area, you know, was a pretty good, pretty good thing still would be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people are leaving San Francisco. I read there's a there's an exodus of 200 people leaving the city every day. That's net. <laughs> Yeah, I believe yeah. it. I've heard the I keep reading the very same thing. And I am also considering <laughs> leaving um, for a number of reasons. But, um, you know, it's really expensive here. But I guess the one thing that keeps me here is that, you know, there's so, like la- this last weekend, I was snowboarding with my kids in Tahoe. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was having lunch with some friends in the wine country. I mean, there's, you know, so much to do in this area. So that's one of the reasons I love living here. So it's, you know, the price you pay, I guess, to live in an area like this. But what kind of returns are we talking about here? Let's talk about numbers. How and obviously these cannot be promised. These are just historical, but what, how well has uh, Good Egg done for its investors? Yeah. So I would say traditionally, so in every deal that we do, there's something that's built into the deals that's called an 8% preferred return. And essentially what that is, is it's a way that we ensure that the limited partner passive investors are paid before the general partners take anything out of the deal. And so I would say that generally speaking, cash flow wise, the investors are seeing anything from eight to 10% annually per year for cash flow. Now that doesn't include on the back end when we sell or do any kind of a refinance, then they would get, uh, if it was a refinance, they would get a certain amount of the money that they had initially put in return to them. And then on the back and when we sell the property, they would get what would have been equivalent to another 10% per year. So you're talking about roughly 20% returns annually over a three to five year hold period. Yes. I'm seeing that now on your website under how it works. Good good egg investments, the minimum investment, typically $50,000. Most projects plan for a five-year hold, as you mentioned. In terms of all of the chatter we're hearing about the recession that's going to be happening in 2019 and that obviously is going to impact real estate. How are you adjusting your business, if at all, with those kinds of projections? Um, so as far as the numbers go, we're still able to project similar numbers. Um, I would say that when we, you know, maybe two years ago, we were seeing uh, IRR numbers, which is IRR internal rate of return numbers somewhere in the 18 to 20%. And nowadays you're seeing the, that number drop to somewhere about 16 to 17%. So you're definitely seeing, you know, those numbers go down. Um, and as far as, you know, 
potentially approaching some kind of a correction or recession, I would say that we are being extremely selective about, uh, you know, the partners that we partner up with, number one, and then number two, the, you know, the deals that we're getting into. So we are looking a lot more closely um, at the numbers that are being presented to us and then making a decision about whether we want to partner up on that particular deal or not. Um, so it's, you know, we're definitely aware of where we are in the market cycle. Um, but that being said, you know, I know people who in the multifamily industry who've been sitting on the sidelines since 2014 thinking we are at the top and, you know, they lost out on the last four years of a lot of great growth. So, you know, it's really hard to say where we are. Um, I think that investors need to be very cautious about who they are partnering up with, number one, and then number two, the deals that they're getting into. And that's sort of our philosophy as well. You know, on top of that, I think another thing that we're really selective about is the types of assets that we invest in. And the types of assets that we invest in tend to be a little more recession recession resistant. So we, for example, we invest in workforce housing, which are class B and class C apartment buildings. And so these are not your luxury class A tier apartment buildings. These are, you know, the, the ones in nice school districts, um, but not the ones with the super fancy resort style pools and the luxury amenities. And so what happens during a recession is that, you know, when people lose their jobs or they have to make those tough decisions, people tend to move from the class A properties down to class B and class C. So during a recession, we actually see an increase in demand for the, for assets like workforce housing. No, you're right. I mean, if you have cash in a recession or you have good credit in a recession, you're prime candidate for all the things that are losing value and it's a good time to get in. So I can see where that, that can be... Um, a surprising growth area for some businesses. Let's talk about money, shall we? Let's do it. Um, um, I'll ask each of you this question. Feel free, whoever wants to jump in first. But what is your money philosophy, money mantra? That's something that's been your guiding financial force since as long as you can remember. Um, Yeah, this is Julie talking. Um, I'll I'll comment on that first. I would say that, you know, my my sort of philosophy about money is that it's never about how much money you have. It's about what you do with it that really counts, right? Because, and that's so true. I mean, we see so many people that have so much money and then find themselves bankrupt a few years later, you know, Um, and then you find people who are, don't make a lot of money annually every year and yet they, are doing really big things. And I think that's because they're being, uh, you know, very efficient with their money. So I think that that's a really big thing is to keep in mind that it's never really about how much you have, that it's about where you put that money and how hard that money actually works for you. uh, That really matters the most. Do you have a personal experience with this? Is this something that you learned growing up or, or that you learned through a life experience? Um, I, Kind of. I mean, I, I, I would say that, you know, I didn't grow up w- with a lot of money. My family did, certainly did not come from a lot of money. And so it was always about saving. Um, and then as I got older, it was, it, you know, I realized that it's not only about saving, but it's about 
earning and investing as well. So, you know, if all you did was save and let's say you make $100,000 a year and all you did was focus on saving, but your expenses were, you know, 50 to 75% of that, all you're ever going to save is $25,000 to $50,000 a year. Whereas if you focus on earning as well, like how can I earn more? And then once you earn more and then you're saving more, how can I invest more um, and put that money to work for you? Then that's sort of the strategy to go about. But um, for me, I guess it, really where it hit home was when we sold some of the properties that we purchased back in 2009 and 10. And we were coming into some capital and it was like, okay, well, you know, yeah, I have this money now and we could go do what most people do as they move forward in their careers and they earn more money and they have a family, which is they move to a nicer neighborhood and buy a nicer house. And we were about to do that. And as I was facing a $10,000 plus monthly mortgage payment, I thought to myself that there's got to be a better way to build wealth. I, I just can't imagine that this is the only way. And that's when I discovered the passive syndications that we now do. Um, and, you know, I wanted to find an investment opportunity that would allow me to have my money working its hardest for me in whatever mode that would be. And as I identified the passive syndication opportunities, I was then able to quit my job. If I bought that single family home in that nice neighborhood, I certainly would not be quitting my job and I would probably be still working my job and not sitting here talking to you fine people. So Yeah, I was just on a podcast with a guest who was saying that, you know, we often look at all these little ways to cut expenses to build wealth, but really it, you know, we spend a majority of our money on housing, transportation, and food. So if you want to make a big shift, focus on those areas. Annie, how about you? What was something that you um, grew up thinking with regards to money or a money philosophy that you have embraced over the years? Yeah. So I I similarly did not um, grow up with a lot of money, but I had a really interesting set of parents. <laughs> My mom was all about saving. She still is. She saves as much as she possibly can and she spends as little as she possibly can. And my dad was, unfortunately for her, the polar opposite. He sort of didn't really pay attention to what he was spending and he was a gambler. He was often, he could often find him at the casino. And so I I grew up with these two conflicting viewpoints. And my dad, even though he gambled a lot, he was very risk averse with um, financial instruments. So he didn't understand investing very much. He dabbled a little bit here or there. And my mom definitely did not invest. She just save, save, save. And so when I started out my adult life, that's what I did. I learned from my mom and, and I saved. I saved every paycheck and I thought I'm doing pretty well. Soon I'll be able to take this money and buy a house with it or buy something big with it. And there was a moment when I think it was around when we um, bought our first rental property when I realized that, hey, I don't have to keep working for my money. I can get my money to work for me. And it was such a life-changing moment. I had never been taught that growing up. And here I was with my first rental property and I didn't have to do anything and I would get that rental check every month. And it was just so eye-opening. And it was something I thought, surely this is a fluke. Let's do another and see if this still works. And over the years, I've come to realize just how powerful 
powerful that passive income can be. And so nowadays, you know, when I look at my money, I think, you know, it's not the be all and end all. It's not like I'm saving for some magical number and then I'll feel great about my life. It's, you know, how can I make this money work for me so that I can live life on my own terms? And that's what it's all about. This idea of investing, I hear this over and over from guests, largely women, that they didn't get the investing education growing up. All right, time now for our question from our sponsor, Chase. What is your New Year's financial resolution? Um, So this is Julie. I'll go first. Um, I would say that it's continuing to focus on the earn more, save more, and invest more. That's that's Mm -hmm. probably my focus for the new year. (laughs) Yeah, no, not, like not spend more. Yeah. And for, for me, um, my husband and I have been both focused on growing our individual businesses over the last couple of years. And so our uh, financial resolution for this year is to really get a grasp on not only how our businesses are going, but how our um, personal finances are going and having a better handle on where every dollar is going. It's the year to do it. Lots of uncertainty in the in the economy and the market this year. So uh, good to know that um, there's still some things under our control. We can still manage how we spend, where we're saving, the conversations that we have with those of us uh, who are in relationships, managing money together. I'm not sure how old your children are, but are you doing any proactive work in getting them a little more money ready for the real world? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'll let Julie speak to to her kids, too. She has three kids, but I will start. This is Annie. I'll talk about my two kids. I have two boys. They're uh, six and the younger one's almost three. And they say that, you know, kids form their money habits really young. And so we started very young with them, teaching them first about the importance of saving. So we felt like first in order to have them grasp money, we needed to teach them about savings. So we um, started my older one with, you know, s- some allowance and little bits of money here and there for doing different things around the house. And slowly he understood at first, you know, he was like, let's go to Target. I want to buy the latest Lego set. And, you know, he, every time he would save up enough money, he'd spend it right away. And then he heard us talking about, um, because my husband and I are both in real estate. So we talk about real estate at the dinner table. We talk about buying houses and rental income. And over the years, I think he's heard us talking about buying houses and he's been to open houses and helped my husband with um, setting up these properties. And he's really starting to understand that, hey, if I just have a little bit of patience and I do the right things with my money, I can actually get that money to grow over time. And so now not only is he saving his money, he when you ask him, he'll say he wants to buy a house with it, um, but he's got a long-term vision for his money. And we're starting to talk to him about some ways that he could invest his money. And so I think he's really starting to grasp those concepts. Wow. Amazing. Julie, you have three children and running a business. That's, that's. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's fun times over here. How old are your kids? (laughs) Oh, it's, it's easier now. Um, They're almost seven and six and three. 
Yeah, it's easier now. There was a time back when they were, you know, like three and a half, two and a half, and a newborn. That life was a lot oh more gosh. fun than you it is now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, you know, for me, I would say that we talk a lot about wants versus needs um, because I think with kids, that's something that. Uh, they don't really are aren't really taught at a very young age, and to them everything is a need. Uh, so I think, and and same for me when I was growing up, it was like, well, no, I need I need that mm-hmm. Cabbage Patch doll. I don't want it. I need it. You know. And um, so when we talk about what is a want versus a need, they really start to make that distinction between you know what if I had a hundred dollars and that's all I had to my name, what would I spend that money on, right? So it's about reinforcing making smart decisions with their money. That's one thing. Um, and you know, the other thing is introducing a lot of investing ideas to them on a, on a level that they can understand simple things like, um, you know, if you had a hundred dollars, you know, would you want to just spend it and, and on something, whether it's, you know, on, uh, going to Legoland for a day, or would you rather take that hundred dollars and give it to mommy and mommy will pay you, you know, whatever, $5 a month. And at the end of the year, mommy will return your hundred dollars and you would have collected that extra $5 a month. And I, I present those ideas to them and ask them what their thoughts are around that. And it's so interesting to watch them say, well, yeah, you know, I'll take the, I'll wait for my gratification and I'll take that, you know, hundred dollars, I'll give it to you so I can get $5 a month Mm -hmm. and go get an ice cream once a month or something, you know, something that they enjoy and still have my hundred dollars at the end of the year. And they say, yes, that's what I, that's what I would do. And so it's about really introducing the ideas and the strategies that we're using as adults, but introducing them on a much easier to understand, uh, you know, level to, to our kids. And that's, that's one of, you know, a number of things that we, do. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, I feel like children are so intuitively just smart. I I think it's true. You know, we learned everything we needed to know in kindergarten. And I feel like so, you know, kids in the kindergarten, first grade are are more smart than we would, you know, actually realize. Dividends. I like that. Or uh, I've heard of families matching savings in the piggy bank dollar for every dollar. And that, you know, I think um, probably starting around first grade, they get it. Um, I probably wouldn't expect my four year old Mm -hmm. to appreciate that right now. He wants what he wants when he wants it. Uh, but, but truly, I think studies show that the best financial, the best life skill, forget just financial skill, the best life skill you can teach your kids is to have one, self-control and two, delaying gratification. It goes a very, very long way. What was your biggest money mistake? Let's skip ahead a little bit and jump right to the biggest mistake you've ever made. Annie, you go first. <laughs> um, okay. So let me think about my biggest mistake. I think probably my biggest mistake was in waiting too long to really get into investing in seriously investing in real estate. I think, um, you know, I mentioned that we had been investing in real estate for over 10 years, but it was really just slowly. We would, um, every few years we would buy, we would save up enough to buy a duplex and then that would throw off some passive income and we'd say, this is great. And then a few years later, we would save up a, enough to buy another duplex. And then we would rent, keep the first one, rent that out and move into the next duplex. And we did that for about 10 years. We're still living in a duplex, in fact. Um, but I think 
that's 10 years that we could have been really doing a lot more um, in the real estate investing space. Now that I know so much about real estate syndications and debt investments, equity investments. There's just so much you can do in the real estate investing space. So I look back at those 10 years and I think, wow, if I knew what I knew now, back then, we would be in an entirely different place now. Well, yeah. I mean, compound interest <laughs> best always works best when you get a head start. Yes, for sure. Julie, how about you? Yeah. So um, for me, I when I was in my 20s, I would spend a lot of money on things like fancy cars and going out to eat and traveling. And, you know, looking back in hindsight, I, you know, I probably didn't really get serious about saving and buying a home and investing and all of that until I met my husband, which was when I was in my 30s. Um, and then, you know, took me the last 10 years or so to get to the point where I am. And very similarly, like Annie said, you know, had I not been irresponsible with my money in my 20s, I probably would be, you know, not be where I'm at at this later point in my life and probably would have been able to get there a lot sooner. So I would say, you know, it was just not having the, the money sense, you know, when I was in my 20s and just being completely irresponsible and having no clue um, that there was a better way. And that, you know, had I earned and saved and invested earlier on, I probably would have been able to accomplish so much more um, Give you know, us at a one much younger age. hack that you two practice. It doesn't have to be a money hack, but maybe it does save you money. It saves you time, which then, you know, lets you maybe goes back into your financial life or like you're both moms. Is there like a productivity hack that you have, a get things done hack that you have, something that you feel like you've really, um, that you do that perhaps others don't, but has really has benefited you in your careers, in your lives, in your financial lives? Yeah. Um, this is Julie. Um, I would say that one thing, and I, I'm going to be, I'm going to try to keep it short because it's a pretty, um, it can get pretty lengthy, but, um, basically the strategy that one of the strategies that I use is using whole life insurance policies as a way to allow my money to work in two places at the same time. Traditionally, when someone gives you a hundred dollars, you can either spend it or save it, but you can't do both at the same time. And so with whole life insurance policies, you're able to basically, uh, you know, accomplish that. You're able to have it working for you in one place, earning a return within the policy. And then you can also take out a loan and invest that money into whatever your, you know, whatever investment is attractive to you. And you're effectively having your money working in two different places for you at the same time. And so that's a strategy that I've learned after I got into real estate over the last couple of years that has really allowed me to earn a significant amount more than most people are because they're not using the whole life insurance policy in tandem with their investments. And so I have sort of a bump in my return. So if I'm looking at a, you know, a 20% return on my, you know, syndications that I've invested in, once I invest into a whole life insurance policy, pull that money out and invest it into one of the syndicated deals, I'm probably looking at like a 27% annual return. 
learn. Um, and so that's a strategy that I knew nothing about and took me a long time to really wrap my head around it and, and discover it. But if anyone wants to know more about that, I'm happy to refer you to my insurance <laughs> broker who specializes in all that. And just as a disclosure, I get no compensation for that at all. It's just a hack that I've used that I've found that there's a lot of interest yeah. in specifically. Well, if you have something to put the money in too, that mm-hmm. you really feel confident about that you're almost like, you know, you're, you're managing that. Um, I know whole life insurance can get very expensive. The monthly premiums can be, it's not for everybody, but it sounds like you have figured out a way to really leverage it. Right. Yeah. And I think that if you understand... So one of the things that I've done is I've taken an investment and invested it into real estate, a single family home, taken that money to fund... So the cash flow from that property, let's say it's 900000 bucks a month. And then the premiums on the policy are equivalent to that. And it now funds that policy automatically. So there's different strategies and ways that I use it so that I don't necessarily have to come out of pocket for those for the insurance premium. But yeah, it can get very expensive, but it just depends on, you know, what your bandwidth very in terms creative. of creative is. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend like I got all of it, but I'm going to probably rewind and listen to this a few times. Um, <laughs> and yeah. listeners, you should too. Um, all right, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. And to make this simple, I guess just whoever wants to go first, just jump in and don't feel like you have to answer every single one, but I'm just going to, I'm going to do this only once instead of like to each person, because um, I don't want to give anybody the chance to think about it too long. All right. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is... Buy a house with a view. I've been wanting a house with a view. <laughs> you answered I'm this like before you finished... <laughs> I want a house with a view. I'm now (laughs) outside my office window is our next door neighbor, which has a hot pink house that's falling apart. It's like Barbie pink and it's falling (laughs) apart. So I would buy a house with a view, no doubt. (laughs) Wow. Julie? I would probably, uh, gosh, first thing I would do. I guess I would kind of cancer. Um, no, not any particular kind. Just, just cancer research. I, I'm not a big fan of cancer. (laughs) Never. I, 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 not that I personally had any. You know, I haven't had cancer. Knock on wood. Thank goodness. But I watch it destroy so many lives, and I just it it breaks my heart. So that's probably the first thing I would do. All right. Um. One thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is mm-hmm. <laughs> Instacart. <laughs> yeah. And order from your favorite grocery stores yeah. to your doorstop within hours. I, I I'm yep. familiar. Yeah. Money well <laughs> Any any yeah. any uh Yeah, for me it's, there? it's Audible. I love Audible. I can listen oh. to books on the go and it has doubled or tripled the amount of books that I can get through. <laughs> They are one of our sponsors for this podcast. So perfect. um, I'll be sure to relay that to them. (laughs) They'll be happy to hear. All right. And last but not least, I'm Annie. I'm Julie. I'm so money because. Mm, That's a tough one. (laughs) Sure. Annie, you want to go first? Okay. I'm Annie, Annie and I am so money because I am taking control of of my financial future and I'm helping others to do the same. Love it. Um, okay. Hmm. I am 
going to use the same thing as Annie, and I will say the same thing as what Annie said. (laughs) I'm with Annie. (laughs) Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb, thank you so much, co-founders of Good Egg Investments. Really thoughtful conversation with the two of you, and some definitely some things to think about and strategize. I'm going to look into that uh, whole life insurance leveraging that you're doing, Julie. It's a little too sophisticated for me, I think, but I'm always open to new ideas and appreciate you sharing that with us. And thank you so much for joining us and have a great new year. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. Thanks so much again to Annie and Julie. To learn more about Good Egg, go to goodegginvestments.com. And to sign up for their Passive Real Estate Investor Academy, they have a course, go to passiveinvestoracademy.com. They're also on Instagram at Good Egg Investments. You know who else is on Instagram? me at Farnoosh Tarabi. Would love to have you join me there. Ask me some of your questions on the go. I'm pretty good. You know, good thumb action on Instagram. Sometimes I just send you a quick video in response to your question because I like to surprise. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. Money.